Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody. And I know I say this every week, but it's so truthful. I am so excited about today's show with my guest, Matthew Morales. Matthew is a motivational speaker. He's a thought leader. He's an entrepreneur, and he is an author, and we are going to be talking a lot about that today. It's very exciting. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm actually really excited for this conversation as well. You and I connect so well. Seriously, we we really have connected, and people talk about social media. People talk about all kinds of different things and how people connect. Some people find that sort of obnoxious. On the other hand, I don't. I find that connecting with people, and I tell people this all the time, Matthew, and I'm sure I told you this as well, it's like putting gasoline in an empty tank. It fills me up to be able to have the privilege every week to have wonderful people that share their stories. What's your story, as I said in the beginning, is what this is all about. And today the story is about you. So I thought you could just take a moment to just, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and just a little bit about yourself, because I know what's about you is very much about the book we're going to be talking about. Yeah, of course. Um, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. My name is Matthew Morales. And uh, I grew up poor. I grew up in the hood. I'm from Passaic, New Jersey, Patterson, New Jersey. Anyone who has grown up in that area, at least when I grew up in my area, knows how bad it really is. And um, one great thing I had was two parents that were dedicated to teaching me. My father had what I called my million-dollar library. And he had books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Richest Man in Babylon, a lot of financial books and philosophy books. And then my mom was a businesswoman and she was going to accounting school and trying to, uh, you know, doing multiple jobs at once and doing real estate. And I was always watching her strive. And so doing everything they could to get us out of the hood. Um, mm. And what I found out was what I found was interesting was I read all the books and I'd still be broke. Right. And then I'd go to the seminars and I was still broke. And then I worked with millionaires and I was still broke. Then I joined the military and I was still broke. And then I made like $100,000 in a year and I was still broke. And I just couldn't understand why. I was like, why? Why am I reading all the books, going to the seminars, doing everything I can? And, I'm, you wow. know, and it took me breaking down in another country with no money left, not sure what to do, to finally start reflecting and to say to myself, I will never ever feel this way again. I will never be poor again. I should not have to choose between something as simple as a meal, breakfast or dinner. But that was such a reality for me, and I didn't want Hmm. that anymore. Interesting. You know, our life stories, between you, between me, they're not all the same. The same with our listeners. 
But I think what's really great about you is that everyone that's listening to you can take something away from your story. You didn't have to grow up in the hood to understand your your journey. And, uh, and so I, I'm really, I'm just delighted. And I know that you've written your book, Never Be Poor Again. What an interesting title. So what inspired you to, to choose that title for your book? Yeah, so the book was originally going to be just a quick ebook where, I, you know, I taught business techniques and sales and marketing and all my little things that I've gathered over the years. But instead, I started telling a story. And that story became that very moment I was just talking about when I decided to go travel the world. I went to India with my girlfriend, Nicole, at the time. And we traveled for six months through India. We had $1,500. And after traveling for six months, we wore it around. We had $80 left when we went into Nepal. $40 of, dollars of that went to our visa. $20 of that paid for two weeks of a guest house. And so we went like two days without eating because we were traveling from India to Nepal on this crazy bus ride. And we got really hungry. So after we paid for the guest house, we started traveling and looking for food. And Nicole gets hit by a car. <gasps> and we have no idea where we are or what we're doing. So I, we rush her to the nearest hospital. And um, she goes and gets x-ray. They give, you know, drug her up real quick. They take her into the x-ray room. And it turns out she's fine. All that the car okay. ended up running over her, her foot as well. And she just had minor bruising. But okay. we got the bill right there. And the bill was $18. Oh, oh. And so we paid the bill. Huh. And we had $2 left. And so now here we are meandering through Kathmandu, Nepal. No clue where we are, the name of our guest house, no clue the language, how to speak to anyone, how to get directions, how to do anything whatsoever. Haven't eaten. And as we're meandering through, she says, I'm hungry. Can we get something to eat? And I said, yeah, we have $2. Would you, that's enough for one meal. Would you rather have dinner or breakfast? And she broke down crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I've never had to choose between two meals before. But I have many times over. And so I sat there and I broke down with her crying in Nepal. And that's when I said those words. It's like, I promise you, we will never feel this way again. We will never have to choose between two meals. We will never be poor again. And we got up and we walked through those doors, ate a meal, wrote goals, and then spent the next two years traveling the world, making money while traveling the world. And I had studied, like I said, for many years, reading all the financial books, but it took me deciding that I needed to start applying every single thing that I learned in those books. Wow. Wow. You know, um, I, I'm taken by what you said. I, I am. I, I am absorbing it. And I am actually feeling what you just said and trying to imagine what that must have been like to make that decision and how frightened I would have been. And it sounds that when you started writing down these goals, it sounds like this this was a turning point that I think we'll be talking about today. What would you say in your book, which I'm very excited to say will be out 
on Friday. And I also want to just say really quick, and I'll, I'll repeat this later into our broadcast, but if you're interested as we're speaking and looking at Matthew's website, it's moneymystic.co. I've learned from Matthew that calm is kind of on the way out, and this man is on the edge of all of the latest. So it really is moneymystic.co, and you will see you will see his website. So in your book, Never Be Poor Again, what would you say is the central theme of that book? You know, there is a subtitle to the book, and I think this is the really important part. It's Never Be Poor Again, A Guide to Money as a Spiritual Practice. And Got it. I had to understand what that meant. I, it became something. So the first turning point was there in Nepal. And the second is what I call my humble me story, in which I got into an argument with Nicole, and she called me arrogant. And I said, well, I know I'm arrogant, right, as an arrogant hmm. person would say. And so then I, ran, you know, I went into the shower. And what was interesting is um, I've always been very spiritual, but I – had a huge aversion to the word God. But for some reason, I went inside of the bathroom and I went under the shower and the water hitting me and I would often meditate. And I said, God, I have a question. I know I'm arrogant, but what does that truly mean? Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And I heard this sentence that I've never forgotten. It was, arrogance is to avoid one's own ignorance. I think you should say that one more time. Arrogance yeah. is to avoid one's ignorance. One's own ignorance. It own had ignorance. hit me. The only time I was arrogant is when I was ignoring what I didn't know, when I didn't want mm-hmm. to feel inferior, when I didn't want to feel dumb, right? When I didn't want to change a philosophy, I became arrogant. I was avoiding I was avoiding new knowledge, new information. And so it hit me that I was avoiding in these books. I read all the books, but I was skipping the intros, and I was skipping the conclusions. And I I went to all the seminars, but I was following step one and two, but step three sounded dumb, so I skipped step three and step four, and then I went to step five. And I wondered why it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. It wasn't working because I was arrogant. Because I only followed the steps that were in line with my philosophies. I didn't want to change the philosophies that, um, that I didn't want to change philosophies to something I didn't agree with. I'd rather hold on to my own, right? An example is instead of when I learned something, I'd rather learn about making money. But you also need to learn about holding on to money because it doesn't matter how much you make. It matters how much you keep. And so I copied all the philosophies that helped me learn how to make more money, but I couldn't hold on to it. Hmm. That's interesting. I was, I was skipping the things that mattered. And you didn't, I don't even think, did you even realize it? That's when I realized it. In that moment, in that moment, I realized when I, set, when I asked that question, why I was poor. It wasn't my poverty keeping me poor was my arrogance. I went to all the seminars, I did all the studying, and I was still in the exact 
same position, and that wasn't going to change Mm -hmm. until I changed my philosophies and until I followed all the steps. Because the truth is, no matter how hard you try, you can't change, exchange baking soda for sugar and expect a cake to appear. That's just insane. What you can do is make a cupcake or a wedding cake or right or blue or pink or small or giant, but you can't change the principle. Wow, interesting. That's that's that's. I I I would say that one of the things that I find so interesting about you, and there are many things that I find interesting about you, but if I had to just like choose a word. I find you to be profound, but at the same time, absolutely humble. There is nothing about you that doesn't suggest that to me. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm taken by your spiritual side. I, I, I feel it. And my guess is when you're on stage and you're speaking and you're giving people, you know, your opinions about things, because I know that you do do a lot of speaking, I would imagine that people feel it also, that it's a, it's a physical feeling that you get. And maybe because you and I have both talked a little bit about yoga and breathing and kind of spirituality and mindfulness, that might be a part of this. But if you were going to talk about your spiritual practice, how would you say money is a spiritual practice? Yeah, it, thank you so much for saying all of that, by the way. I really appreciate it. I try You're so welcome. hard to be humble. I wouldn't say that I am. <laughs> I wouldn't say oh, that really? I'm humble. I, oh. I wouldn't. I, I tr- I'm trying. I think it's a practice every day. And, okay. you know, it, it, but that moment was the beginning for me to realize, to try mm-hmm. to let go of this arrogance. So I think, there, you know, it's like it's still a practice every day. Mm-hmm. But, um Why is it a spiritual practice? It's because it's a reflective one. It's because I had to look within and realize that money was a symptom of how I was showing up in the world. Because, you see, there is a a formula to making money that we know about that is well-known. And it's we are paid equal to the quantity of people we serve and the quality of service we give. So simply, the more people we help and the better we help them, the more money we eventually end up making or the more opportunities we end up making by helping and by giving service. That's what makes it a spiritual practice because I have to problem solve, think Mm -hmm. of the greater good, find ways to help others as well as helping myself and help the masses. It's a spiritual practice because I recognize that the reason my uh, – the same way my bank account was going to zero, mm-hmm. right, and I had let my bank account go to zero before I refilled it, it was mimicked in my other actions. I let my gas tank get to empty before I refilled it, and I didn't do my laundry until I ran out of underwear, and I didn't refill my refrigerator until I had no more food. Wow. Everything. Isn't that – wow. Were you – you – but – while you were in it until you had that epiphany, you didn't even realize that you were doing all of those things until you became reflective, right? 
He didn't realize, geez, I don't have any underwear. Geez, my gas tank is empty. Oh, my God, there's no money. I, where's, how am I going to get money out of my bank account? It's empty. You didn't really connect those dots initially, did you? No. I'm, I, I, it became a practice of mine to when I learn something. So if something is true, it's true in everything. If it's not true in everything, it's simply not true. This is an undeniable force in nature, Some, a law that could never be broken. The same way I explained about the principles before, about the cake, right? You can, the principles can't change. And so I decided that if I wanted to see if something was true, I'd start applying it to other areas in my life and to see how I can apply it to different ways. And that's how I started learning about money because I love nature. And so what I witnessed is that money follows the same laws of nature. Hmm. And so I did everything I possibly could to apply those two things together. Wow. Can you give me an example of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love nature too. Yeah, I can teach everything you need to know about money by applying it to nature. Simply imagine we're walking, we're going to start a new village, and we're walking up to um, an area that we need to start it. We're going to look for water. So we find a river, and we decide to settle down. Well, first, we walk up to the river, which is our water, which is our currency, our income, okay? And we see what we can do about drinking this water, and then um, when we're doing this village, at first we're walking up to the the river every single time, but eventually we make something to hold on to more and hold on to more and to serve more people. Okay. So money follows the same law as currency. That's why we call it a current, electrical current. Right? Water is a current, magnetic current. Money follows the same laws as currency. So imagine this river for a second, our income. If we put a, a dam in it and make it so that no water can move anymore, Somehow, some way, we just completely make the water still. What happens? It becomes nobody stale. It becomes right. nobody, nobody can get any, and then it starts to die off. It becomes uh, gets filled with fungus, and animals can't live in it. The trees around it start to die. Right? This is what happens when a beaver puts a dam on two sides of a river, or completely stops water flow. Things start to die and become putrid. The moment we lift that dam, and the water, the currency, gets to occur again consistently right? It starts to heal again. And isn't it interesting how water can keep giving and giving and giving, spending, spending, and spending, and always have more to give? So our money follows the same principles. We don't hold on to money. We learn how to make our money flow in the directions we want it to flow. So now if we go back to starting this village, we need the water to uh, eat, we need the water to clean our cells and our laundry. We need the water to pee and to poop, right? So mm-hmm. after a while of using this water, we would eventually separate it into channels. One for cleaning, one for eating, one for bathroom, right? Because we would never want to pee in our cooking water. So we need to do the same thing with our finances. We separate our finances, 70% to pay for our expenses, 20% to pay for our debt and then 10% to pay ourselves first to grow for us, to leverage, so that it can work harder for us than we are for it. What sustains us, our food. And so we separate the water into those three channels. Well, we do the same thing with our money. Wow. 
Have you done a TED Talk? I'm just curious. I've always wanted to. I have a connection for you. We'll talk about this later. You, you sent me her, Mimi. We had a conversation. Oh, I did. Oh, you did. I did. I did connect you to Mimi Donaldson. Terrific. Well, you did. Yeah. I can. I can so see you talking. I can visualize you on a stage with a screen behind you. you talking because it's your belief system. It, it isn't like let me try to convince you because frankly that's not going to work. You have to believe. You have to start with that belief system. And if it's what you believe and it's what's internal with you and it's real, anyone that listens will sense the same thing. And they will take away what is relevant, makes sense to them. And, I mean, no wonder you do all these corporate trainings. I mean, when people go to your website and they see the different things and the different services that you offer, I mean, that you offer, I should say, you know, um, you're more than just a pretty face. No offense. You really do have <laughs> – you really do. But look at that smile. But you really do offer a lot of different things. And, and I like the term thought leader. That means different things to different people. But in in your world, and really somewhat in my world as well, our thoughts are what take us on our journey. And sometimes I have to have a really serious talk with that person that's in my head saying, knock it off. You're not helping, that you're being too critical. Yeah. You're not, you're, I need you on my side. I don't need you opposing me. And so I do a lot of retrospective thoughts, um, but I, you know, I just, I just find you so, so deep. And when we talk about an inner, deeper perspective about money, it's so integral to our well-being because, let's face it, we do have to pay for rent, and we do have to do our laundry, and we do have to put gas in our car. So why is having that? inner, deeper perspective about money so integral to our well-being? Because we can only keep what we give. Because we only receive what we give. I give hate, I receive hate. I give anger, I receive anger. But if I give love, I receive love. And if I give opportunities, I receive opportunities. And so what ends up happening is one of uh, the financial principles, the most important financial principle for everyone that's listening is called pay yourself first. But as I said before, if something is true, it's true in everything. And if it's not true in everything, it's simply not true. This is something that's so true, you can apply it to your spirituality. Pay ourselves first. I'm going to give a real-life example in parables, okay, to show the difference between selflessness and selfishness, empathy and sympathy, okay? So there's a reason when we go on an airplane, they tell us to put the mask, oxygen mask, on ourselves before we put it on someone else. Right. Well, the question is, why is putting a mask on your child first selfishness? Hmm. 
What an interesting thought, right? Yes. It's because, it's because most likely the thought that came in was, I can't live with myself if this child dies and I live. How will I feel if this person passes away? So notice how this actually becomes an act of self-preservation. But selflessness would have been putting the mask on myself. That way I can take care of my child, give them CTAR if it needs, give them the mask, and take care of every other passenger on the plane. That's the difference between selflessness and selfishness and empathy and sympathy. We end up having sympathy, and sympathy ends up making us make this crazy reaction. Let me give this person my mask instead of put a mask on myself first so that I can put this mask on this other person and that person and that person and that person because I can serve more people if I'm awake than if I'm passed out. Mm-hmm. Now, the second example, a parable that I would like to use is imagine you walk into a room and the room is filled with barrels. And I like barrels? to imagine those nice wooden old barrels. Yeah, those, oh, yes, you, uh-huh. you know those old barrels? Yep. I love to imagine those. And so imagine it's full with barrels, every barrel's touching each other, and every barrel represents a person in your life, and there's one barrel that represents you. And so you look in the corner, and there's this pitcher, this carafe, filled with this beautiful liquid that represents all your dreams, money, prosperity, stability, love, friendship, everything, all the beautiful things in your life and all your desires. And so you take that pitcher, and you start to pour it inside of your barrel. And then you're like, you know what? I need to take care of my sister. Oh, wait, here's some for my brother. Oh, here's some for my mom. Here's my dog. Here's my neighbor. You know what? My best friend needs some love and some abundance here. Oh, let me get back to mine. Oh, wait, here's my mom again. Are you ever going to fill your barrel? Hmm. No. But imagine if I took that carafe, that pitcher of liquid, and I filled it with my barrel. And I just kept filling it and filling it and filling it and filling it in my barrel. What would happen? It would overflow, right? And I just kept pouring, and I just kept pouring. I kept pouring and pouring and pouring. What would happen? It would overflow. And and you keep pouring and pouring and pouring, and it will fill every single barrel that it touches. Hmm. This is true selflessness. This is true empathy. This is how it's shared. Wow, this is the that way is, to success. That's so thought-provoking. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, Matthew, because I, I was just on an airplane this week, and I always think about when they say, you know, you know, put your mask on before you put a mask on it for anybody else. And I honestly, I must admit to your, myself, it's like, well, come on now. I'm, I'm not going to take care of me before I take care of Susie sitting right next to me that's three, you know, and it's like, but you've just given me a different way of looking at this. I need to have my mask on so I can help Susie and Bobby and Joey and everyone else that's around because I am now safe and able to help. Wow. Exactly. That's 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 deep, <laughs> I, and I like that. <laughs> oh gosh, I, I do. Um, you 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 pointed into a very interesting word when we first started talking, and you used the word arrogance. And what I want to know is, 
What was that pivotal moment in your understanding of arrogance and how it was holding you back? Well, as I said, I had that moment I called my humble me moment. Well, after that, it's what I did after that. I had read at that point in my life, I believe, about 100 financial books, maybe a little more. And I decided that I was going to reread every single one that I could remember. I didn't write them down. Every single one and follow every single step. And I refused to go to the next step and the next page until I did what I found on the page before, at least started practicing. I remember so much so, so much so that I never finished a book money master the game because he said if you haven't done this stop right now and i closed that book and i realized now that i should go and finish that book now that i've done what he told me to do i've accomplished those things but i had to take everything i had to take it serious i had to be willing to be wrong that was my problem i never understood what it meant you're too smart for your own good until i realized that that meant that I was the expert in any room and nobody can teach an expert. An expert has nothing to learn. Hmm. They're not coachable. I wasn't coachable. I wasn't coachable. I wasn't teachable. I was a fantastic learner and a horrible student. Wow. Wow. I wonder how many people listening to you right now are reflecting and and thinking about what you're saying because words as you and I have talked about really matter matters more to some than others and I appreciate and understand that but when you talk about that you weren't coachable and you weren't teachable you were constantly doing an analysis of where you were and recognizing that you were willing to make some changes because you were looking at this the wrong way. And as you said, you can read all these books, 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 and more books and more books, but if it's what they say in one ear and out the other and none of it's, you're not applying it, you're not absorbing it, and... You know, I don't think that what you were reading were particularly easily digestible books, but it sounds to me like you grew up with those books surrounding you, and it just became, well, I'm just, I'm going to try a different technique now. I'm going to pick up this book, and I'm not going to put this book down until I've mastered what it's asked me to do. Do I have that right? Exactly. Okay. Because a master, an expert is a person who masters the fundamentals. So that's all I needed. Master the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. And then how important was it for you to then share it? Wow. The reason I started writing this book was because of a specific sentence someone said to me. What's that? She said, Matthew, at this point, if you don't write a book, all the knowledge you have, you're selfish. You're selfish? Yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> and that, and that, I was like, what? She was like, everyone in the world needs to hear what you have to say. They all deserve it. They all need it in their life, and you're holding back. And that day, wow. I started writing my book. Wow. Wow. Nobody wants to be considered selfish, so I understand that. <laughs> yeah, wow. and I, I just needed a, I needed to share this with I need to share this with as many people as possible because the truth is, this is the truth. The truth is, first, it's very easy to become wealthy, but what's easy to do is just as easy not to do, as Jim Rohn says. But secondly, more importantly, is that I used to say no one taught me this, and it's still something I say. They don't teach you this in school, but the truth Mm -hmm. is that is a lie because Mm -hmm. my whole life people have told me to invest. And my whole life, people have told me to save. And my whole life, people have told me to make my money work hard for me. My whole life, people told me not to count my chickens before they hatched. What they didn't tell me was how. Hmm. Wow. You're right. I, I, you know, you're absolutely right. And, and those terms that you just used, like don't count your chickens before they hatch, all those different things that you said, we've all grown up hearing that. I I mean, you know, I'm obviously the age that could be your parent, but I certainly heard that growing up myself. Um, And that kind of financial security for somebody that's a senior citizen is vital. You can't start building that nest egg in your 70s. (laughs) You better have had something going on prior to that. Um, Wow. and people say these things, but here's the thing. We're regurgitating this knowledge, but no one actually told me what that meant. I had a funny little image until my brother, my younger brother, taught me what this meant. How? I was in the military. So um, after I got out of the military, I received the, the GI Bill. For anyone who doesn't know, if you qualify for the GI Bill, they help you pay for um, rent, your bills, um, your tuition, things of that nature, depending on what you qualify for. So, long story short, um, I was kind of broke at one time, and I called my brother, and I said, bro, can you do me a favor and loan me $400? I'll pay you back on Friday. And he said, let me ask you a question. How is it that you can, uh, you can promise me that you'll pay me $400 on Friday, but you can't pay your bills today? Hmm. And I was like, whoa, because I, was like, because, um, I get paid on Friday. And he was like, oh, still counting your chickens before they hatch, huh? I was like, what? Uh, no, I'm not. He goes, bro, he's, bro you're, counting, you're counting money you don't have. I was like, no, I'm not. I get paid on Friday. He's like, you're counting money you don't have. I said, no, I get paid every first of the month by the military, precision, every time, no matter what. And he said, okay, you still don't get it, but whatever. You're my brother. You need it. Sends me $400. That Friday, they made a mistake. In my payment, couldn't send it to me, and I didn't get paid for another month. Whoa. Whoa. That's heavy. Don't count your chickens before they hatch means this. It's okay to count your eggs. You have 12 eggs, but not every egg is going to turn into a chicken. And that's good. That's good. Because some of them can be for breakfast, and some of them can be, become a chicken, and some of them can be used for blah, 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 hundreds of different things. It becomes more flexible. That's what it means. It took my younger brother to teach me that. 
Well, I must also add, as you're telling these incredible life stories, you had to be willing to learn because it wouldn't have made any difference to you if he said that. It's like, yeah, well, whatever, so I don't have the $400 to pay you now, and I'll just pay you the following month because, you know, obviously they screwed up and you would just move on. You you were willing to delve deeper into the meaning and apply it. Yeah. Everybody doesn't and, do that. And right? I just wish it didn't take me a devastating experience every single time to learn a life lesson, which is the point of the book, you know. Right. Right. Well, I like when you say your book is more than a book. It's really a life experience. Um, you know, it, it's – and I'm going to just mention that name of that book again, which is Never Be Poor Again. And people can find it on Amazon and um, Barnes and & Nobles. And, you know, people can absolutely purchase this book. And when because it, it comes out, on I believe, on Friday. So I'm sure people are listening going, dang, I need to have that book in my, ha- in my house. Maybe I don't need to have those all those other ones because it sounds like they are telling you what to do, and it sounds like what your book is telling you is how to do it. And maybe that's is that yeah. did I get that straight? Yes, and in an experiential sense. And so for me it's not don't read those books. For me it's read mine first. Oh, there you go. There because you go. Because if you read mine first, then maybe you'll take what these millionaires are saying seriously. Hmm. Interesting. So, as a business consultant, and you've been very successful, what have you found are some of the handicaps that hold most people back from achieving their business goals and dreams? Because everybody brings their own, their own backpack to the table. So, what have, have you found um, have been the handicaps for some? A lack of focused goals based core desired feeling, and I'll say that again, a lack of planning based on authenticity, on real feeling. No one wants a million dollars. No one. No one wants to gain 50 pounds or lose 50 pounds, right? We want the feeling we're going to have when we're a million times a dollars wealthier or 50 pounds lighter or heavier that feeling of levity, that feeling of stability. We want the feeling of prosperity. And some material things bring us that, and some immaterial things bring us that. So that's first, understanding that. When we make a plan, it has to be for those authentic reasons, not a number. That's first. Second is making a plan to get there. Actually making a plan. Let's go back to that river analogy. So now you've built a giant little village, a beautiful village, next to this river. But you always look across the river, but you can't get across the river because there's no bridge. So first, once you decide to get across the river, you're like, I think there might be good things there. You have an authentic reason. You're like, I think we can grow more crops there. I think we can spread there once you have a true authentic reason to give us more stability. You'll actually decide to cross. But if you cross the river, would you just haphazardly start jumping across rocks? Or would you imagine in your mind first exactly where your foot's going to go, rock per rock per rock, before you even try to cross? Hmm. You would never just do that. You would never just, all right, cool, I'm going to just jump across the Nile River and try to swim. Hmm. (laughs) You you know, that's insane. You wouldn't do that. 
So why are we doing this with our business? What are we doing? So we look and we see what rocks we want to put our feet on. And then every once in a while, we're going to notice that our plan is really solid, but every once in a while, one of the rocks are going to be shaky. And so we've got to pivot and move and adjust. This is why we need a plan. Because then once we've gone across, then the plan gets to show other people. We can say, step on this rock, step on this rock, step on this rock. Then once enough people get across, you have a reason to build a bridge. Would you just start building a bridge randomly or would you plan it out? Mm -hmm. This is why most people fail. Interesting. So first you need to have a focus goal. Then you yes. need to have an authentic plan. And exactly. is the third to be able to pivot and move and adjust as your plan moves forward? Would that be what you would call number three? Absolutely. Absolutely. Learn to pivot. Learn to stay flexible. Have a plan. Be flexible. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah, I can hear that. I, 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 can, I can see that's true. And I would imagine that those same steps result in people's financial security as well, right? When you do that, I mean, that, uh, fi- Absolutely I mean, I, everything. You, yes. Um, are you, I'm, I'm going to ask you a personal question. Um, so I know my husband worked in the aerospace industry and um, part of his, back in the days when, you know, he was working in the late 60s through his career, there were pensions back in those days. And big companies like Hughes Aircraft, Raytheon, Boeing, these companies, they connected us to financial planners, people that we trusted would help us move forward. And are you in favor of people that have, do you think that that's a good strategy for people to have financial planners? Yes, smart people are people who hire people and work with people and surround themselves with people who are smarter than them. So oh, thank if you. you cannot understand this stuff, find someone who can. If you don't want to deal with it, find someone who can, but please find someone with their best interest at heart. Please find yes. someone who are actually following these principles, who are not right. promising to make you rich quick, because the truth is fast money don't last. I'm really good at making – I could snap my fingers and make $10,000 appear. But then those $10,000 will disappear really quickly. But if I spent one year building $10,000, I will not let that $10,000 just fall through my fingers. I will refuse to let that happen. Right. You know, I, it's interesting about when we talk about money and, and, and lifestyle, and, and we all know people that have a, a varied – relationship with their income. I have friends that really only live on Social Security and have to decide, you know, cat food or gasoline. Um, and then there's others that are, are, are more fortunate. And there's such a sense of security when your finances, finances are in order. And I talk to my kids about this all the time, that it's important that they do the same for themselves. That, you know, once that's, I kind of, I kind of equate it to this. I, I don't know if this is totally off the subject, but maybe you'll understand what I'm saying. You know, once you get your wisdom teeth pulled, they're out. They're not going to come back. Once you put a trust together and you visit it and you're protecting your money, and then 
something horrific happens, like your spouse dies out of, out of, without any preparation or understanding, but just instantly, you better have a plan so that if that happens, which, of course, that isn't what our plan was, but it is what happened, my financial person was my go-to guy. He, I refer to him as my main man because mm-hmm. we want to be in a position to be protected, and the same for my children. Yeah. So that's just a little bit about knowing how important finances are to me personally. And everybody approaches it differently. Certainly you you started um, on the poor, humble humble side of life and you know Matthew one of the things that occurred to me when we talked about your humbleness is I couldn't help but think about that song by Tim McGraw because the other the other part of that tune is humble but it's also kind and there's no doubt about the fact that you are both humble and kind and that that's not a stretch that that Thank that you, that is that but that's really that's really true, and, and you're well. And you're welcome for for saying that. Um, I learned from my mother-in-law a long time ago when somebody says something nice to you, don't try and talk them out of it, Marcia. Just say mm-hmm. thank you. Just yeah. say thank you. And it was a wonderful lesson that I learned from her. And we talked a lot about my mother-in-law this past week because I was with people that called her grandma. I called her my mother-in-law. And so many lessons came from her, and it, it's true. And, and, and you have lessons based on your life experience. So I guess what I would ask you, and I, gosh, I have a couple more questions to ask you, but I, I, I would just be curious to know about this. Based on everything you know today, what advice would you give your younger self? That's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. Investments has nothing to do with money. I wish if someone would explain that to me when I was young, I really wish that understood. And that hard work does not equal money. Money and hard work have nothing to do with each other. And so this is what I mean. We invest every day. Investing, my definition is to take your time, money, or effort, and place it in something you believe will bring some kind of benefit to the future. So I wish someone explained to me that I was an expert investor. Every time I bought an outfit, I was investing in my reputation. And when I went to school, I was investing in an occupation. And, uh, you know, when I purchase a house, right, I'm investing in a residence. I'm investing in a livelihood. So I'm always investing in something. I've been investing my whole life. Every single action we do is an investment. And then I used to say to myself that, well, I can't invest because I'm broke. But we would never say, I can't shower because I'm dirty. I'm too dirty to shower. No, we shower because we're dirty. We invest because we're broke. We work hard because we have no time. That's important, and I wish I understood that when I was younger because I would have invested younger, and I would have realized 
that if I would have invested and placed money in that and made my money work hard for me, I didn't have to work hard for money. It's already working for me. Mm -hmm. That changed everything in my life when I just started doing it because we all have inclinations to invest. So just do it now because the first thing you will say once you make a profit is always, I wish I did this so many years ago. Every person does that. Right. Fascinating. So as people um, are listening to this, and you've, you've given so many beautiful examples, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not just listening, I'm taking notes, um, but I guess what I'd want to know from you is, is that, and I, maybe you've already given it, so maybe it's just a recap, but if somebody was going to take one takeaway from what you've said today, I think I know what it would be, but I'd like to hear you say it. Do it now. <laughs> like, I, okay. Usually I say something, but just, just do it now. Just do it now. Whatever it is, you're already thinking about, just do it now, right now. Just start doing it and don't stop because it's easy. The only difference between a poor person and a rich person is that a poor person will do a step 100 times and a rich person will do it a million. Hmm. Interesting. Do you, do you, as a practice, do you, as you're, I can, I can picture you in Shavasana, just laying there and breathing and being mindful. I can, I can, I can picture you doing that. Um, once you're out of that, because one of the wonderful things that my yoga instructor says is without judgment, which is something I, I work on regularly, to be honest with you, um, because there seems to be a lot of that going on in my head. But are you a journal guy? Are you a note guy? Do you just have all of this capacity to hold all of this in your head, or do you get it out of your head and onto a piece of paper? You know, this book was my first time doing that. It's all been in my head. <laughs> wow. Wow, you got some more space up there, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I've got a, you know. I've got a lot in there. I've got a lot in there. Someone actually gave me the advice to start journaling. My father has always told me to journal. He says, you think you'll remember the things you love the most, but you won't. You're not going to remember these little things you're going to forget, but those, the journal will do it. And I think this book was my journal because I think what I did differently is I told two stories my experiences. This is not a personal development where I'm telling you, hey, go do this and go do that and go put your money into your account. No. It's you getting to watch people put a gun to my head and try to steal fried chicken from me and then travel yeah. through Nepal <laughs> and then even join the military. And then, you know, so it, it's real. It's real. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, it's, you know, honestly, as you're speaking and I'm, I am processing your information, you know what, I'm going to just tell you what popped into my little brain up here. This could be a documentary. This could be a movie someday. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to make your plans. I've got enough trouble trying to make my own plans, frankly. But <laughs> I, I do. But I can, I, can, I can see the drama of it. I can see the river. I can see the bridge. 
I can see why would you put this here when you can see over there there's a better clearing, not as many boulders, much more likely that the bridge will not break down, and the goal is to get to the other side. Why? Because you need to start a village, and you're going to need to get that water into your village because we cannot sustain ourselves without water, nor can the ground grow that we can plant the potato or the cow live or whatever we've got out there, the birds. You know, I mean, your analogies of how you draw your picture is just so beautiful, and I want to remind people that your website is Money Mystic. I wonder how you got the word mystic. Okay, moneymystic.co, and um, you are on Facebook, you are on Instagram, and you are on LinkedIn, and people can find you in all of those places. But I think what you are is just true to yourself. You know when you go to bed at night that you are authentic, and that you are not trying to be what someone's asked you to be. You define you. And I think that that, that's how I feel you. That's how I feel what you're saying. So a lot of this is, I'm going to be honest, a lot of this is very heavy. It doesn't have to be heavy, but it's thought-provoking heavy. (laughs) You know, and I you, you giggled because I know, I know that's not your intent. Doesn't have to be heavy if it becomes your in quotes practice. If it's your practice, if your practice every morning is to thank your deity, if your practice every morning when you're standing in the shower is to say thank you for this warm water, whatever it is you say, you know, everybody has to find those terms. They're on their own. But I am kind of curious on a lighter side. Uh, when you're not traveling, when you're not doing your corporate trainings and your finance and your marketing strategies and all of those things, what do you like to do for fun? Don't tell me you go bowling. I'm just kidding. No, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you like? <laughs> Come on, I'll meet you up at the bowling now. No, what do, what do you like to do for fun? One thing people know about me is, um, so I have an interesting thing in, in my ho- in my house. It's kind of like this almost open door policy. You can stop by any time to see if I'm around. But okay. I'll hang out in the front and I play music and I'll play guitar, I'll play the piano, and I'll just bring a whole bunch of instruments in the front of my house. And sometimes people come by, their neighbors or strangers, and I'll just sit down and I'll just play oh, music gosh. and write music with random people. I love, I love doing that. And I love having you know, new people over in my home, sharing space with them. So that's a big thing I, I love to do. Mm. I dance. I love to dance, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm very artistic in those ways. And then I'm also um, kind of like a engineer nerd. So, like, uh, my daughter no, you're too, not. She's really into fashion. Yes, definitely. Uh-huh. We, well, me and my daughter will do little things like a project. For example, my daughter will make clothing, um, amazing clothing from scratch. She's 12 years old. Um, she'll t- or she'll take fabrics and recycle them and stuff. But then we'll also do things. So I'll get her a bunch of stuff. But then she made like a giant dollhouse made of futon out of like just using recycled material, all of that. Whoa. And then she's making an engine, a V8 engine out of paper <laughs> right now that's working. We found like schematics online. So we're always just doing random kind of nerdy things. You know what's so interesting about this? I would like your opinion about this. So you're talking about the guitar the piano, 
the artistic side of life. I'm going to actually have a guy next week that's all about the brain. He's written a book called The Brain Weaver. Anyway, so this is kind of a brainiac question for you. When I think about engineers, which is what my husband did professionally, I would have qualified, classified, I should say, as a right brain kind of person because he was logical. He didn't have to use a bunch of extra words. He was logical, and he was trained to be an electrical engineer. Um, his creativity actually came later on in life when my children were off to our children were off to college, and he just started cooking. He was done with spaghetti, tacos, and meatloaf, and he was actually the Food Network had just begun, and it was like, dang, you know, I, I think I could make this. It's like, okay, honey, go for it. So I, I saw that as his creative side. Um, I don't see myself as anything, frankly, as left-brained. I, I don't sit on that right brain side of life. So when you mentioned, you know, your, your financial, your corporate, your business, all these things, writing, well, writing a book kind of sits in the center. So where do you stack up when you're so musical and then you just talked about being kind of nerdy? How, how do you see your brain functioning? I'm just curious. Um, we are, my daughter and I are absolute idiosyncratic, very unique. Um, and so my obsession is learning in general. And so one day I'll be um, studying physics and talking about quantum physics. Maybe we'll talk about astrophysics, stuff like that. The next day I'll be reading the Bible or the Tao Te Ching or the Bhagavad Gita, you know. And so I'm always jumping all around. And so with my daughter, I love fashion. I love art. I love all of it. But I didn't really discover how creative I was until someone pointed it out until my late 20s, and then I started mm. becoming more and more and more creative and removing some of those creative blocks. I was way too logical at one point, mm. and I rediscovered that. And so, same, I actually cook. I love to cook, um, love cooking. So, yeah, both sides, I'd say, for me. So you always love learning. I, I think I'm that that's... learning. Wow. I, I think that that's... that's it's so... I'm so different. I, I, I'm, I feel like unless I'm going to um, purge a bunch of stuff out up there, there isn't a lot of space left. And so for me, adding, oh, God, you're going to make me learn how to do that. Can somebody just do that for me? Now, granted, <laughs> I'm much older than you. Um, but, you know, frankly, maybe I've always been somewhat like that. I would much rather be involved in a fabulous conversation than um, face-planted in a book. Um, it yeah. sounds to me like, frankly, you, you are comfortable on both sides of that. Um, uh, uh, but, yeah, all of it. <laughs> yeah, well, but you know that, that, that if that's one of the lovable things about you. That's one of your uniqueness, that, that you're able to – that's why you can be a motivational speaker – but you can sit down at the piano or sit down at the guitar. You know, I'm going to sit down and put a sports. I'm going to down and sit down and put the Dodgers on. You probably wouldn't do that. So um, <laughs> you know, it, it's and we shouldn't all be alike. You know, we're not robots. We should all have what's meaningful to us, explore it and enjoy it. I mean, we don't know how many times we're going around this planet. So you know, it's best that we we leave um, satisfied. And and it sounds to me like you've learned a lot of lessons early on in your life that 
um, drove you on this journey. Perhaps if you wouldn't have started poor, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. But we are. And, and I think that that says a lot about who you are, what kind of a father you are, and what kind of a human you are. And I, I'm just I'm so grateful for the time that you've spent with me on this on this podcast, on the times that you and I have spent not on this podcast, just speaking to one another. I really value you as a person. I value you as a friend. And um, I feel like I see myself as a connector. Honestly, Matthew, that's where I see myself in my professional life. In my personal life, I'm the person that organizes all the class reunions. I'm the person. I, I, I've just, I've just become the honorary mayor of Westchester, right here in this community that I live in, and and this is a tradition that's been going on for 68 years. And I look back at some of these people that I'm standing in this line with, and I'm thinking, wow, how did that happen? And it's like, well, Marsha, you've lived in this community your whole life. It makes sense. So I think as long as we can find where our joy and happiness comes, it comes out. It comes out in what we do. It comes out through our pores. It comes out in our authenticity, just like what you were talking about. And that's who you are. And that's why having a show with somebody like you is such a pleasure because as people listen, and sure now I'm talking about me now, and you know, that's all right. I'm sure Ellen DeGeneres does that now and then. Maybe Oprah does. But, you know, the point is is that, yeah, I get to do that because it's my show. But I, I love when the connections happen, and clearly that's the case with us. And I just want to thank you. I am so grateful that you've taken the time to share what is so meaningful to you with our listeners today. It's just been fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciated having uh, being on the show and you having me. I loved talking to you. everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you got some worth out of today. And if you did, did, please check out my book, Never Before Again, A Guide to Money as a Spiritual Practice. Follow me on all my social medias, my Instagram, my Facebook. It's all the same. And I really, really, really hope that you guys take some of the steps that you've learned here today. And always make sure to follow Marsha as well. (laughs) Thank you. And the book will be available. Is there a pre-sale or can people... Um, there is a pre-sale. You can go onto Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or to my website right now, which I would get. Um, I think I'd make more money if you go to my website. Please. Um, I, you know you what? That's a, really good, uh, that's a really good suggestion, Matthew, and I will make sure when we do the follow-up that I connect people over to that website because why not buy it on your website, you know? This isn't yeah. a hobby. So, um, you know, thank you once again. Um, you know, I've had many guests that have repeated with me, you know, six months down the line, a year down the line, whatever. I don't know if you're going to be writing another book or what's in next door for you, but um, you're certainly somebody that would always be invited to rejoin me um, at another time. So just thank you for your time, and I hope that everybody enjoyed what you had to say. And I will let you get on with your day. And thank you once again, and everybody that's listening. Have a wonderful Monday, everybody, and goodbye for now.